for today, we do want to press into our theme, okay? And it's going to be about transformational grace. So we have six days, or five days rather, devotions coming up that will deal with grace. And if you'd like to have a devotional book that kind of goes with our uh, teachings and with our messages here, we can put one of those in your hands for sure. Or we can get one for you. We've got a few still left here if you'd like to have one, all right? So we're going to be in 2 Timothy chapter 1. So if you have a Bible, anybody bring your Bible today? All right, good deal. Ready to mark it up? All right. It's yours, right? Treat the word as God treats your heart and he speaks to you, then note it. Write it down. Make a, make a memory here today. Anybody come expecting this morning? Or do we just come because it's Sunday and we're going to show up and sing the song and do the whole routine kind of thing? You know, it's easy to get caught up in the rat race, isn't it? Um, but I always want my heart to be anticipating just a movement of God at any moment. God can redirect to draw a heart, change somebody's mind, soften their view, and before you know it, there is a receptive soul there that's ready to hear truth or life change, whatever it may be. I always want to be expecting God to move. So 2 Timothy chapter 1 is where we're going to be here in just a few minutes, but we want to talk together before we get started. So the title of this today is, Grace changes things. Okay, grace changes things. And the real short definition of grace is unmerited favor, uh, which means that we have not earned anything, right? Okay, so that's kind of our short definition. But today we're going to look at the practical side of grace. So what does unmerited favor look like in the life of a believer? Okay, and so what I want you to answer for me is fill in this blank. Grace transforms, and you fill in the blank. Or it could be grace transforms by... And you fill in the blank. Okay, so when you think of transformational grace, grace transforms blank or grace transforms by blank. Anybody have a thought? Grace transforms. It transforms our life. Because here again, we don't want this to be like what we talked about last week. We all knew what prayer was about, right? It's one thing to know about praying and we should pray for one another. It's something totally different to engage in it. So I don't want to just know that grace is unmerited favor and check that box correct on a quiz. I want to know what does grace look like? What does transformational grace look like? So it changes our life. Okay, so it changes your attitude. Yeah. Direction. Okay, so grace transforms by giving direction to your life. Somebody else, when you think of the work of grace in your life or what you've seen in somebody else, how would you, grace transforms... Okay. So we've received grace. Is that what you're saying? Forgiveness. And so in turn, then we're able to forgive somebody where maybe we couldn't beforehand. Okay. So... Either building them or maybe, you know, restoring or reconciling or something like that. Now the ball's rolling. Anybody else here? Grace transforms. It can transform your reputation. Yeah, that was this morning's message, right? Saul to Paul. Lots of guys like transforms your character. Okay? Good deal. And so you're starting to get the picture here that it's, it's not just a definition that we can answer. And there's a little acronym. I shouldn't even have started that. 
God's riches at Christ's expense. Thank you. Like, I'm going to forget that. So you may know something like that, you know. But it's more than just a definition or an acronym. It's, it's transformational. And so how many of you would say grace has been at work in your life? If you'd say so, then what that means is your life can fill in that blank. Right? Miss Lane said, our life. So grace transforms me. You can make it even personal. Grace has transformed me by this. So it's an active force. It's active within the believer. And that's a beautiful thing. And so today we're going to talk about how grace changes some things. And I want to share just a, a couple paragraphs here from a pastor. His name's Paul Tripp. Maybe you've heard of Paul. Maybe you haven't. Paul's a pastor, a church planner. He's authored about 16 books. He's kind of an international speaker. One of these guys that's probably on the, he's on the circuit right now. So he's a catalyst and exponential and all these kinds of different church conferences. So as I was thinking about grace, I came across this phrase or this little paragraph or two that kind of put some feet to it, helped me understand it, you know, in a practical way. So just bear with me. Try to listen tight as I'm just going to read this to you. What he says initially, though, is out of all the words in the Bible, the most transformational word is the word grace. The most transformational word is the word grace. And so here's what he says. He says, grace is a story and it's a gift. It's God's character and it is your hope. Grace is a transforming tool and a state of relationship. Grace is a theology and an invitation. Grace is an experience and a calling. And then here he's going to put some practical feet to this thing. He says, grace will turn your life upside down. You ever been there? Grace will turn your life upside down while giving you a rest you have never known. So you've got two things going on at the same time. Grace will convince you of your unworthiness without ever making you feel unloved. For me, that's kind of where, that's the line that said, hey, I'm going to put this in the message Sunday. Right? Grace has the ability to convince us that we're not worthy without ever making us feel unloved. Grace will make you acknowledge that you cannot earn God's favor, can't earn it, and it will remove your fear of not measuring up to his standards. And both of those go together. Grace will confront you with the fact that you are much less than you thought you were. You ever been there? Paul says, don't think more highly of yourself than you should. It will confront you, showing you that you're less than you thought you were, even as it assures you that you can be far more than you had ever imagined. Grace will put you in your place without ever putting you down. Grace will enable you to face truths about yourself that you hesitated to consider while freeing you from being self-consciously introspective. Grace will confront you with profound weaknesses and at the same time introduce you to newfound strength. Grace will tell you what you are not while welcoming you to what you can now be. Grace will make you as uncomfortable as you have ever been while offering you more comfort than you've ever known. Grace will drive you to the end of yourself while it invites you to fresh starts and new beginnings. Grace will dash your hopes, but will never leave you hopeless. It will decimate your kingdom as it introduces you to a better king. It will expose your blindness as it gives you eyes to see. It will make you sadder than you've ever been while it gives you greater cause for celebration than you've ever known. Grace enters your life in a moment, but it occupies you for an eternity. You simply cannot live a productive life in this broken down world 
unless you have a practical grasp of the grace you've been given. So all sorts of little phrases there, and you probably don't remember one or all those, but maybe one of those stuck with you. It's the idea that it exposes kind of our sinfulness, our weakness, our human side, while at the same time it's drawing us to something better. It's showing us someone better. It's creating in us, transforming us to become more like the one who is better. And so it's this wonderful thing that the Word of God calls grace. It's what John Newton called what kind of grace? Amazing grace, okay? And I don't know any other uh, adjectives we could probably put in front of it that would make it sound better than, than that. And so here this morning, 2 Timothy chapter 1, I want to find Paul talking to his young protege, kind of Tim, and he's going to give him some advice about what it looks like to live in this grace. And so he, he reminds Paul, he says, listen, your mom was faithful, and your grandmother was faithful, and the faith that was in them is in you. And you've got the Spirit of God in you. You've got the gift of God in your life. And so he's going to encourage him with this gift of God, reminding him about this transformational grace. Okay, so 2 Timothy chapter 1, and we're going to go verses 6 uh, through about verse 14. So beginning in verse 6, it says, Therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God, uh, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me as prisoner. But share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which, is, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began but has now been revealed by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, to which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher of the Gentiles. For this reason I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep what I've committed to him until that day. So hold fast the pattern of sound words which you've heard from me in faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. That good thing which was committed to you, keep by the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. So we'll focus predominantly in those middle verses there. The verses talking about salvation and life change and uh, the miracle of grace in the life of a believer. And the three things that we'll note today as we progress. So if you'd like to follow along there, you can. About... Six weeks ago, um, we talked through a message that dealt with grace as well. And it was about how God kind of um, remakes us through His grace. Strengthens us by His grace. Right? That sounds like a song that we sing. Remember Paul said, I'm weak. And I'm asking you to take my weakness. And God's response was, my grace is sufficient for you. For in your power, I will bring my, or for in your weakness, I'll bring my strength and my power. You're strong in me. And, uh, but this is going to go to a little more practical level here this morning. So three things we'll note as we progress. If you'd like to follow along in your bulletin there, you can. Uh, it's totally your call. All right, so number one here. Grace is going to change us by moving those who believe from death to life. Okay, so grace is going to move those who believe from grace to life. So typically when we first think about grace, we think about how it works, uh, as was mentioned, like in the area of forgiveness. Right? And so if you're going to show grace to somebody, it means you're going to be a little patient with them. You're going to forgive maybe something they've done against you. And grace is definitely 
um, about forgiveness, but it's not all about forgiveness. There's a whole lot more to the equation than just being forgiven and even just being saved. And I don't want to belittle that in any way. I don't want to belittle salvation. I don't want to belittle forgiveness. What I'm trying to do is magnify grace. Okay? So yes, it includes the things we've mentioned, but it goes way beyond that as well. And so let's read here again, uh, and then we'll explain this text. Verse 9 says, This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. So know this. Jesus, has he always been? Okay, so Jesus is eternal. Did God know that Adam and Eve would sin before they sinned? Did he know that when you and I came along we would sin? Yeah, so he knew all of this stuff beforehand. And so what this text tells us, Paul says, before the beginning of time, God already knew that sin would come, that there would be a curse, and how he was going to ransom, rescue, restore people was going to be through the grace offered through Jesus Christ. So all of this was planned before the beginning of time. But then the next verse tells us that it's been revealed now at the appearing of Jesus. It's now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Uh, so before time, grace was on the, the mind of God and it's fully been revealed here in Jesus. And one of the things I love about this verse is that word destroy. So somebody help me out. When you think of destroy, what's another, what's a synonym of destroy? Something's been destroyed, it's been done away with. Somebody else? Annihilated. Ruined. I thought the word obliterated. I don't know why, but that's what I thought. Okay, so destroyed has a, it carries a heavy connotation with it, doesn't it? And so, anybody watch the Olympics this last week? Yeah. There's a swimmer guy, he's pretty popular, I can't remember his name right now, what is it? <laughs> okay, yeah, I can remember. Michael Phelps. So supposedly he's like the greatest Olympian ever is what some people say of him. Okay, he's won all sorts of medals, 20-some and gold medals, I don't know how many medals he has altogether, total count. But there was a race on Tuesday night, it was the 200 meter butterfly. And in the 2012 London Olympics, Michael Phelps lost that race. And so he said that left a bad taste in his mouth, so he wanted to come back to 2016 and compete in that race and win that race. Did you see the race? Alright, did he win it? He did win it. Does anybody know how much he won it by? That was close. Four. Okay, so four hundredths of a second. Alright, so that's quick. That's not much time. So, would Michael Phelps in that pool look over at that guy and go, I destroyed you? No. Did he win? He won the race, okay? But nobody was saying, oh, he just destroyed them. Now, there was another race he won by like three seconds. And in the swimming pool, that's huge. And so they would say of him there that he destroyed things. Okay? So when you think about Jesus and grace, death didn't just come in second. You know, it's not like we were running neck and neck and grace just edged out death. And grace gets to claim victory, but death was a very close second. No, what does the Scripture say? It says it's been destroyed decimated, ruined, obliterated, whatever all those words were. It's, 
It's not even in the water. It's no contest. So if they were in a pool, death shouldn't even show up. Because grace is just going to put it to death. And grace did put it to death when Jesus died and was resurrected. And so now, death and uh, mortality has been changed. Now there is life and immortality. That's all been brought to life. So when you and I receive grace, it's not just that we've been forgiven of our sins, we've been saved. It's that we've been moved. We were dead people. Dead in our sins and nothing we could do there to change our situation. And lo and behold, here comes grace over to death and it's going to redeem us and bring us over to life. We have life, spiritual life. We've been made alive because of grace. Paul wrote it this way in Ephesians 2. He says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and your sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. You used to live that way. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. We were spiritually dead and no hope within ourselves. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions because it's by grace that we have been what? Saved. And so here we see that we've been dead in our sins. We gratified our sin nature. That's all we could do. And as the Spirit began to woo our heart and win our attention, we acknowledged our sin. Remember some of those things we talked about grace. Grace makes us realize that we're bad. We're worse off than we thought we were. But we can be much better than we ever imagined because of being moved from death to life. So when you think about grace, yes, it's salvation, and yes, it's forgiveness. But it has moved us from a position where we were totally dead to where now we have life. You know, I heard a great thought here this week. I was listening to a man by the name of Alistair Begg. I don't know if you know Alistair now. He's a pastor. He's got a great accent. He was talking about death, and he said this. Most people ask the question, is there life after death? But he said, what I want you to consider is, is there life before death? And what the text would tell us here today, resoundingly, is yes, there is. Life has been brought to light. Okay? Immortality has been brought to light. That doesn't just happen when we die or pass through the doorway of death. It's now. And so, yes, there is life before death. And that happens here through the power, through the miracle of grace. And so we see here that grace is transformational. It's going to move us from a position of life or from death to life. All right, secondly here this morning, grace is going to change us, and that's what we're talking about. I want to be transformed. So how is grace going to change me, moves me from death to life? Now it's going to give me some power. It empowers us to live these lives that we've been called to live. Empowers those who believe to live holy lives. We've sung about it here this morning, right? Refiner's fire. First Peter called us and said that sometimes trials happen in our life to refine us, to refine our faith. So we've been called to be holy, not happy, right? We've been called to become Christ-like, not just to live the great life now. And part of that is struggle. And so here we're going to see we've been empowered by grace to live holy lives. 
And so if you've been moved from death to life, yes, you're saved, and yes, I'm saved as well. However, that's not the end of the story. That's what we call the beginning, right? Now, if that's all it was, salvation, we'd take it, wouldn't we? If there were no other benefits, nothing else other than salvation, would you take grace? Yeah, I'd still take it. And I'll take your dose if you don't want it, okay? Uh, because it's going to save me and it's going to change me here forever. But here we're going to see that we've been called to go beyond that. Not just saved, but now you're called to be holy. And so all of us in this room earlier nodded our heads saying, yeah, grace is a reality in my life. It's changed me, okay? So grace is pulling you from that gratifying sin nature to holiness. Grace is calling you, calling me to be holy. And so we sing a song that says, I choose to be what? Holy, set apart for you, my Lord, my Master. Because that's what you're calling me to. Let's go back and read it here in verse 9. It says, He's saved us. He's moved us from death to life. And He's called us. He's called us to live a holy life. Not because of anything we've done, but because of His own grace and His own purposes here. Uh, and so we're called to live holy lives. However, here's the deal. How many of us achieve holiness in our own effort? None of us. Okay? We have a role to play. Right? We've got to pursue the Lord and be submissive to the Spirit, obedient to the Word of God. But none of that changes my character. None of that changes my nature. I can modify my behavior, but I can't change my person on the inside. That's a beautiful work of the Spirit. And so one of the ways that we can see that the Spirit's working in us is when there's this changing or this drawing to become Christ-like. And so Paul's going to remind Timothy here in a previous verse, and this isn't on the wall, uh, but it's the idea of this. You're going to suffer, Tim. So just like Jesus suffered, you're going to suffer. And just like I'm suffering... You're going to suffer as well. And so he calls him to that. Go ahead and suffer, but know this. You're going to do it in the power of God. And the same application goes on in the next verse. You've been saved by the power of God. That had nothing to do with you. You're going to become holy like Jesus. And that's not because of your good efforts or striving. That's going to be because of the work of grace in your life. So if we're called to it and we can become it, what we're seeing is that's an active work of grace. It's God alone. And so God creates in us desires that draw us to be Christ-like. Anybody have that going on in you? I mean, anybody have a Christ-like desire that's been planted in you that you didn't have before? I mean, that's the work of grace. Okay? It's not because you sat under teaching or you watched it on TV or you read it on, in a book. That's the active work of the Holy Spirit in your life. That's the active work of grace in your life. It's transforming you. That's what it's supposed to do. So where you see desires changing, man, you should just thank God. Hey, man, if it weren't for grace, my desires would be this direction. My desires would be to gratify my sinful nature. But thank you for the work of grace in my life that puts cravings in me to want to love you, to want to know you, to want to really be pleasing to you. At the end of the day, to really want your glory more than I want my own happiness or my own pleasure. Those are all works of grace. See, grace changes things. And specifically here, it changes us and empowers us to live holy lives, the lives that it's calling us to live. So I love that. God didn't just say holy 
be holy and go figure out how to become holy. He says, no, I'm calling you to be holy, and now I'm going to empower you to be holy. Right? You've got to lean on my grace. You've got to look to my grace. You've got to trust in me. Do your part, but it will always be attributed to grace because of the life change. Empowering those who believe to live holy lives. And then third and last here this morning, grace is going to change us by assuring us that anything that we put in God's care, He's got it. Anything that we trust over to God, it's all going to be taken care of. He'll guard it all. That's what our text said this morning. This is something that I just, I absolutely love. I love the reality, this is just personal for me, in my own life, that I don't have to stand here and fake it. I love that I can talk to people personally about a relationship I have and the assurance that's in my soul. Alright? You know what? That has nothing to do with you. My assurance has absolutely nothing to do with you. Your assurance should have absolutely nothing to do with me. Okay? My assurance is because there is a God who has deposited His Spirit, His grace in my life, and I cannot deny it. And so it's never a hoax. It's never phony. It's never manipulated. It's never, let me just make it look like something that it's not. It's an actual work. And so this morning, maybe you're here and you're not sure. Listen, the idea of following Jesus is not about convince yourself that He's real. Convince yourself that these ancient words really can change your life. Submit your life to God and just put Him to the test. And see if He can't assure you. See if He can't remove your doubts. See if He can't replace your hopelessness with hope. See if He can't create in you a pure heart or desires for things that are holy. He'll do it. So I hope that you have that assurance this morning. If not, you can have. Not because I say so, but because of the active work of grace in those who believe. And so His grace assures us personally, initially, but it also assures us that we, we can be confident in everything that we've entrusted to Him. So do you believe that God can guard you? I mean, are you fully convinced that whatever you've put in His hands, He's got full control of? You know, sometimes we look at it and go, it, it doesn't look like you've got full control of this, God. Or if it was in my hands, I would do it a little bit different. Matter of fact, I think I'll take it back for a little bit. I was just going emotional high there, and I thought, yeah, maybe you could handle it, but I think I'll do this a little bit better than you, God. Sometimes we start to play God when we lack assurance. Do you believe that God can guard whatever you've entrusted to Him? If you believe that, it's not because I've convinced you or anybody else has convinced you. That's called transformational grace. That's the work of grace in your life. It assures you that, that God will take care of what you've put in His hands. Let's read it here again. Verse 12. That's why I'm suffering as I am. And so this was backing up to the gospel. I'm a prisoner in chains. And so I'm suffering for the gospel. Yet this is no cause for shame. Paul was not embarrassed to be in prison because he was a Christian. Okay? He wasn't just cowering down because he got caught. He says, this is no cause for shame. Why is this no cause for shame? Because I know whom I've believed. And that's the kicker right there. That's the main point of that verse. 
because I know whom I have believed, and I'm convinced that he's able to guard what I've entrusted to him until that day. And so Paul knew the one in whom he believed. And that's what brought his assurance. So it wasn't about, do you have strong belief? Okay, we can try to up our level of belief, but that will never bring greater assurance. What brings greater assurance is when we get to know the one in whom we do believe. And so the growing knowledge of our Lord will bring about greater assurance. Does that make sense? Uh, it reminds me of a conversation that I watched. We've talked about Ray Comfort before. I don't know if you remember Ray or not. Ray has a ministry called The Way of the Master. He's got all sorts of things that he does. But he works with apologetics. Uh, he's got a, um, a, a 180 video. Maybe you saw that. It dealt with abortion and trying to get out word about what abortion really is and what the Bible says about it and why those who believe in God believe that life in the womb is sacred and matters. He also has this video out. It's called Creation versus Evolution. Or maybe it's Evolution versus God. Something like that. And you can check both, the, both those out on YouTube. They're both like 30 or 40 minutes. And so in the Evolution versus God video, Ray goes to Cal Berkeley, the university, and he meets with some students who are in the field of science. And he starts to ask them questions about what they believe. And I would encourage you to go watch this video. And so they all say what they believe as it relates to evolution, Darwinian evolution. And he asked them then for one evidence of, of Darwinian evolution. And they all struggle. All right, Darwinian evolution, if you can't remember back that far, is the idea that one thing changes from a kind to another kind. So it's not a variation within a species. It's, it's like me becoming a dog. Okay? That's going from one kind to another. And Ray says, give me just one example. I just want one example. I want to know what you're putting your faith in. None of these students had any examples. And so he started talking with people on the street. And the same thing, give me one example. And no one could give him an example. And they talk about, you know, how a fish that only had three or four fins now has five fins. But it's still a fish. And he talked about these bird beaks. You know, they were hooked. And now they're flat. Okay? It's still a bird. So it didn't change from one kind to another. And so as he talks to them, you can just see them like, I really can't give you an example of that. And so you place your faith in this, or you, you believe this without having any evidence. Would you say that's faith? And they say, well, yeah, I guess so. Like the scientific community that doesn't believe there's a God would say that faith is just the weakness of the Christian. It's the crutch. And so he's exposing to them You've got a crutch, and it's faith in something that you've never witnessed. You've never ever seen, all right? And so then he goes to the professors, and he asks them the same questions, and they have no answers. And you can tell they're sitting there, as probably I would, nose in the air, like a lot of letters after their name, which means the world says they've had a lot of degrees. They're supposed to be really smart. So how dare you question me about evolution? Of course it's real. Okay, I just want one evidence. And so just stumbling, 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 stumbling. He's very patient, very kind. It wasn't to make people look foolish. Uh, but yet it exposes what their belief system is. And so he gets to this last guy. Here's the story. His name's Peter. Whole conversation goes with Peter. Super friendly. Uh, and at the end, 
uh, Ray's going to ask him a question, so they're going to have this little conversation about, do you believe there's a God? And so here's what Ray says to Peter. He says, could you be wrong about the existence of God? And Peter says, well, yeah. And then Peter says to Ray, could you be wrong about the existence of God? And what does Ray say? No. And so Peter says, well, then I would say you're rather closed-minded. And so Ray answers that question. I want you to listen to what he says. He says, if, if I said to you, could you be wrong about your wife's existence, you'd say no, because I know her. You'd say, don't be ridiculous. I know her and I love her. Does that make sense? Ray goes on to say, and I know the Lord, and I love the Lord, and he transformed my life 41 years ago instantly. He forgave my sins. He gave me new desires when I had no desires or thoughts of him for the previous 22 years of my life. Ray said, I was changed by grace because he got to know the Lord. Do you have that kind of assurance in your soul? I mean, somebody can look at you and explain away supposedly your God and you say, but I know him. I mean, you're dealing with theories and philosophies and all these hypotheses. But I know the Lord and he's changed my life. And Peter's, I mean, Peter just looked almost broken in that moment. He had no response. Grace had changed Ray. And what it looks like is Grace was trying to begin the work of changing Peter. You know, Grace is a beautiful thing because it assures us in the one that we know that whatever we've entrusted to him, our lives, everything, he's able to guard it. He's able to take care of it. Therefore, we don't have to be afraid. We don't have to lack courage. We don't have to try to work up, oh, I think I know him. Well, we can know him. The better we get to know the Lord, the greater our assurance. See, grace changes things. And I hope this morning that grace is changing us. We've said it moves us from death to life. And it puts us in that position where we're not only forgiven, but now we're living life before death. You know, a lot of people last night, we could have asked them, hey, how's life going? And they would have held a cold one up and said, man, I'm living the life. And in your gut, you know what? They're dying the death. They don't begin to have an understanding at all of what life really is about. But thankfully, there's grace. And so part of the reason we engage is to hopefully want people to see that there's a God who loves them. Grace moves us from death to life. It empowers us to live holy lives and it's also going to assure us that whatever I put in God's hands, He's able to guard it. Everything in His care is entrusted. Remember, everything under His control is never out of control. So as you begin to think about the work of grace in your life, as we close here, what I wonder is this. Number one is, do you know Jesus? And not just, I've heard a story about Jesus. Yeah, I could tell you facts about Jesus. I mean, do you know Jesus like you know your best friend? Is he real? Has there been an experience in your life? Yes, he's, he's not just words on a page. And so I don't fall in love with red letters. These red and black letters point me to a real Savior. They point me to the one who was prepared before time to bring grace to my life, to help establish this relationship.
if you don't know him, the Bible is very clear that anyone can know him. Jesus died for all. And for those who have sinned, which is all, if we'll look to him as our Savior, his word is, I'll save you. Repent of your sins. Ask him for his forgiveness. And he will definitely bring that. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Maybe you'd say, Corey, yeah, I've been saved and I, I know that I'm part of his family. All right, well, are you living empowered? Are you trusting in that grace to sustain you for what it is that you're facing or going to face? Or are you just trying to modify yourself? I just can't do this anymore. I've got to change me. I've got to change me. We've got a role to play. But your best role is to lean into grace. My greatest hope, my only hope, is to trust in Jesus. And so if you've been saved, just remember, you've been moved from death to life. You have victory. You've been empowered. And you can be assured that whatever you put in God's care, he will take care of.